2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
3: It's 12.03 and a very hot Thursday afternoon, August 24th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us and thanks for listening to the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. The Subway sandwich chain being sold to a private equity firm. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, as people live longer, it creates greater financial challenges. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Mark Horn. Wealth Advisor with Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton, the website fairhavenwealth.com. Mark, thank you for joining us today. And the conversation about retirement and some of the milestones of retirement is possibly set in a previous era in terms of life expectancy and how long we live. And as a result of improved technology and longer lifespans, we also have to recalibrate the conversation around retirement.
4: Absolutely, Rob. So uh, somebody that makes it to 65 is going to be expected to live easily into their 80s. And so uh, being prepared, going into retirement, approaching retirement, being prepared to cover a period of 20 or 30 years is a completely reasonable expectation. So there's there's a fair amount of thought that you go into that to make sure that you're fully prepared.
3: Do you have that conversation with your clients? Do you say something like, just find a picture of your parents, from some time in their life and then you find out that they look a lot older but in fact they're 55 <laughs> and yeah. and you're 60 and you're a lot younger looking than than your parents were at a similar age
4: that that's that's absolutely a conversation we have with clients along along with the some strategies that they should be thinking about to try and improve their odds as best they can and so what, one of those the biggest problem that you can run into financially when you're retiring is running into a bear market when you, when you retire, which of course is uncontrollable. So it's really important as part of that uh, retirement preparedness to have a, uh, a cushion uh, built in your portfolio that you can lean on in times of financial stress. And you know, just working for 40 something years, it's easy to, you get used to a paycheck showing up every two weeks and so just the idea of replacing a paycheck is something that that people often often struggle with, and that doesn't even get into the non-financial stuff of what are you going to do for community? Work is a is a big source of relationships for many of us, and so how are you going to spend your how are you going to spend your time now that you've got so much more of it uh, on your hands? These are all things that need to be really well thought out before you go to that gold watch party and pull the, and pull the ripcord for, to retirement.
3: We're talking to Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor, Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton. Uh, some things to consider is you don't necessarily have to retire at 65, especially if you feel like you have a couple of more years in the tank. And on top of that, it might behoove you to push back your retirement by a couple of years as far as your Social Security benefits are concerned.
4: Absolutely. So now you're talking on you're touching on two on a financial element and then a lifestyle element, which are very important. So absolutely. So taking Social Security early might not be the smartest move. You can take it at, at, uh, at as early as 62, but that might not be the right thing to do. You might want to wait until your full retirement age which is going to be later into your into your 60s. And then yeah, retirement can mean different things for many of our clients. It's moving on from that. Maybe traditional corporate job into uh, getting involved with a with a small startup company volunteering where there might not be any income at all but but again it 's really important to think about your retirement in more than just the stocks, bonds, and cash or the financial the financial uh, elements.
3: Well, we're talking to Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor, Fairhaven Wealth Management, based in Wheaton. Thank you for joining us today. The website is fairhavenwealth.com. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Subway sandwich chain is being sold, ending more than 50 years of family ownership. Let's discuss the sale to private equity firm Rourke Capital with Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Izzy, thank you for joining us today. What does this immediately mean for Subway now that they are out of family ownership and into the uh, a private equity portfolio that includes a lot of other quick service restaurants?
5: Well, it is going to certainly be interesting. It's going to be run from a whole different perspective than that family perspective. I mean, obviously, they grew that company uh, to a massive uh, quick service company. But now, you know, times have changed and uh, companies are being bought up. So I think, you know, that, that family feel or how they ran the company before is going to be uh, a lot different. And now that they're part of a major group, you know, there's certainly going to be some real advantages in purchasing and, and other bulk items that uh, that they will be able to do. But as you say, the company work that, that is purchasing them or has purchased them, Um, is massive. You know, they own Dunkin' Donuts and, you know, uh, Moe's. I mean, a huge amount of uh, uh, restaurant companies out there,
3: Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin Robbins, uh, Sonic, Arby's, Buffalo Wild Wings, and Jimmy John's—some of the uh, companies under the Inspire Brands uh, portfolio, which is uh, owned by uh, this this uh, Rourke Capital uh, venture capital firm, so we're, we're, we're or private equity, I, sh- I should say. So. How does Subway exist in the same portfolio as Jimmy John's? Uh, well, they,
5: you know, uh, this company has been able to really, I guess, kind of silo those businesses in such a way that, I mean, I'm sure the information you just gave and all the restaurants that they own, most people don't know that. Uh, and they they run those companies, uh, you know, independently. I mean, they take advantage of all the bulk uh, that they can in, in purchasing or as they, uh, buy, you know, real estate or whatever it is they're doing, um, but they they don't blend them. I mean, you do see Baskin Robbins, uh, you know, tied in with Dunkin' Donuts, uh, and that was uh, a, a great move. Um, you know, Subway in particular, you know, over the past couple years has closed about 500 stores, uh, but but that is, uh, has slowed down significantly. So now is the good time to buy. They, they've stopped closing stores. They're going to come up with some I'm sure, you know, new marketing to go with it. The uh marketing that that Subway did at the beginning of the year has pushed sales up 9%. So, um this is an interesting move and uh, it's certainly a, a big one. I mean, this has been a family operation for more than 50 years.
3: The reason why there were so many subway locations in the first place, you talked about their retrenchment as far as restaurants were concerned, is that the, the barrier to entry to becoming a franchisee was considerably lower than other chains. So how is that going to change the franchise model or as well, well, is that yet to be seen?
5: Um it, it, it's yet to I think it's yet to be seen. I mean that has been the secret sauce uh for Subway, that uh they made it affordable for people to go into business and you know you you can't be successful with just one subway. You've got to buy, you know, five, six, seven to really uh, you know, feel the financial benefit from that. Uh and that has really, you know, grown them to more than twenty thousand units in the United States. So uh that uh Rob I think is gonna be very interesting to see how they deal with the franchisees uh, and selling franchises from here on out.
3: And then very quickly, Izzy, we're talking about uh, the technological revolution in the quick service space. Uh, uh, these quick service restaurants uh, bringing in uh, 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 robot cooks and artificial intelligence in the drive through Do these restaurants need private equity money to keep up in the technological arms race?
2: Well,
5: this is certainly going to be beneficial for them. I mean, technology is moving very quickly. Uh, You see what Domino's is doing with, you know, anywhere delivery kind of thing. Uh, So I think this influx of big money uh, will be very helpful to Subway as it will, you know, to all the companies that they own, like Jimmy John's, uh, you know, when it comes to implementing new technology. And that is a huge piece of today's market.
3: Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, the fallout from yesterday's After the Bell report by AI chipmaker NVIDIA. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Shares of the artificial intelligence chipmaker NVIDIA are in the spotlight today after it issued its latest report yesterday. Let's take a closer look with Nick Raich, CEO of the Earnings based in Cleveland. Find them online at Earningscout.com. Nick, thank you for joining us today. The first quarter guidance issued by NVIDIA after their blowout report a couple of months ago seemed impossible to top, and yet they cleared that hurdle easily. Uh, It seems like you can't uh, have nearly as many superlatives uh, as you want when uh, describing the second quarter uh, earnings report from NVIDIA yesterday afternoon.
6: Uh, Yes, business is booming for NVIDIA, and uh, artificial intelligence looks like it's creating a new era for computing, and uh, they're the poster child of AI, so the business is really doing extremely well, and... uh, incredible growth right now for the company.
3: NVIDIA shares have risen more than 220% year to date. Is there a possibility, though, that as far as NVIDIA is concerned, this is as good as it gets, that eventually the rest of the world will catch up to them?
6: Well, what we look at is it's probably not as good as it gets for NVIDIA. It it, will probably still do well. But if we look at things on a rate-of-change basis, the amount that they're raising expectations, it's not sustainable to see you know, 100% increases in earnings uh, continually for a company of that size. So things will start to slow down. But We still think there's going to be a lot of room to bid up the shares uh, from here.
3: Now, NVIDIA is, now this is, you know, artificial intelligence is uh, not necessarily just an NVIDIA story, but because NVIDIA was uh, first out of the trench and uh, is the first to really capitalize on the AI revolution, uh, this says something about the entire sector and the possibilities of improved productivity going forward.
6: Absolutely. And, you know, there'll be other players in here that will also benefit from artificial intelligence. It's very reminiscent to me of uh, the dot-com era uh, when it uh, came out and how revolutionary that was for companies and productivity gains that were made. AI could be that next big thing and there'll be more winners. And at some point we could see euphoric uh, pricing in there. Some people think it's already euphorically priced. We think it's just building. Uh, in the early stages of euphoria for Nvidia shares at this point
3: we're talking to Nick Raish, CEO of the earnings Scout based in Cleveland uh, some of the you know, the the acronym for the tech stocks the fangs the Facebook Apple Netflix and Google uh, as more AI companies uh, go into the stratosphere will we'll, we'll we have a new uh, uh, acronym for AI stocks <laughs> or is it already there is there a word in the dictionary
6: well there's uh, a lot on the Street has been calling it the magnificent magnificent seven, the seven largest market cap names. So Meta's in there, Amazon's in there, Apple and NVIDIA's in there as well. So seven big stocks are making up about twenty-eight percent of the overall S P five hundred index and in really driving performance this year. Um, and it really has been a market of have and have nots this year. And if you're in AI, you are you're a have. And outside of there, there's uh been a lot of underlying pain in the index. Uh, So that could be the lagged impact of interest rate hikes and Fed policy that may not be benefiting some of these other companies the way NVIDIA is benefiting in its business right
3: now. And then very quickly, Nick, uh, let's depress some people. If you were uh, uh, one of the first to uh, invest in NVIDIA before all of this, uh, where would you be right now financially? Very well off. Uh,
6: (laughs) This has been a great name. Very, very well off. And NVIDIA also wasn't just before AI it was a leader in graphics uh, uh, chips for uh, gamers. So everyone knew the NVIDIA chip was great. So NVIDIA has been a a very good stock for a long time. It's just really hitting a new uh, step up function with its stock price right now.
3: Nick Rache, CEO of the Earnings Scout based in Cleveland. Find him online, earningscout.com
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart
3: The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM.
0: This is Nancy Hardy. It's so hot, many high schools have postponed games or called off practices. An athletic trainer suggests ways to keep cool.
3: Former President Trump is set to surrender to authorities in Georgia today on charges he tried to illegally overturn his 2020 election loss. It's Technology Thursday. Scientists and philosophers have come up with a list of qualities which could suggest that artificial intelligence has its own thoughts. And people applying for remote jobs may want to make sure that's really the case. WVBM business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 266 points. The NASDAQ is down 168. The S&P 500 is down 39. 96 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies going up to 101. It's 1231 topping our news at the half hour. On this day, A potentially record-setting heat high school teams and Football and other sports are presented with major challenges. WBBM's Nancy Hardy spoke with an athletic trainer. As a
0: director at Athletico in Oakbrook, Mike Overturf works with athletic trainers from high schools in Chicago and the south suburbs. He says while student-athletes have had a little time to acclimate to the heat, this weather raises questions for administrators.
6: Will the football team only practice in helmet and shoulder pads? Will they go without pads? Is it safe to, have to go in full pads?
0: In addition to having more water and cooling towels on hand, he suggests schools opt for indoor practice where practical and adjusting schedules earlier or later to avoid the hottest part of the day. Nancy Hardy, News Radio 1059, WBBM.
3: Donald Trump is set to report to authorities in Georgia today on charges he schemed to interfere with the 2020 election. The booking process is expected to yield a historic first, a mugshot of a former American president. His surrender comes in the the heels of last night's presidential debate in which six of the eight candidates on stage in Milwaukee indicated they would support the former president as the party's nominee next year even if he's convicted of a crime. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in the red today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line reminding you to bring your business home is Ken Crawford, portfolio manager with Argent Capital based in Clayton, Missouri. Ken, thanks for joining us today. I got to tell you, this is a bit of a surprise today, this sell-off, especially after I saw NVIDIA report yesterday afternoon. The futures markets, especially the NASDAQ, went into the stratosphere. And then the markets opened, and there's a bit of a, a, a downward, uh, some downward pressure. What's going on today?
2: Well, I agree with you, Rob. A bit of a head-scratcher. If you had told me, given NVIDIA's results yesterday, that uh, the NASDAQ and tech in general would be leading the markets downward... I would have lost that bet.
3: And on top of that, I was going to say it's it's not just Nvidia too when it comes to artificial intelligence. It's the health of the entire sector, and it's the possibility of the productivity gains that artificial intelligence can bring. Because it seems like right now, as far as the fight against inflation is concerned, productivity is going to be a fairly formidable weapon.
2: That's right. I mean, uh, the trade-off between. useful work and work at all relative to artificial intelligence and what uh, things electronic might do to us or for us is certainly uh, in the forefront of investors' minds today.
3: And then uh, we're talking to Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager, Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Is some of this a little bit of uh, Jackson Hole anxiety that investors are holding their breath to hear what Jay Powell has to say tomorrow?
2: Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Expectations are for uh, Chairman Powell of the Fed not to say anything uh, particularly noteworthy. But obviously, given the format um, where he to make any kind of expli- uh, explicit change or even a nuance, uh, the market is a little bit worried about uh, higher interest rates for longer. And then
3: when it comes to the, uh, the, the the strategy by the Fed of just hiking interest rates to uh, bring down inflation, are they at a point where they can't really say much of anything or telegraph anything about their next move because the the, the, the numbers and, and the, uh, uh, the, the economic reality is just changing so quickly they don't want to get too far out over their skis and then lose credibility or even more credibility uh, compared to their predictions two years ago?
2: I think that's a good uh summary and and what the fed the way the fed expresses that is data dependence. So they will say that they're they will look at the economic data and from that decide to make changes or not make changes. And then particular to this moment in time, you've got a fed meeting uh in September. So for Powell to say something just in a, in front of a handful of weeks of a Fed meeting would be a little bit peculiar. So I think they will try to say as little as possible. And as you said, um, allowed some of the economic data to to guide them going
3: forward. And then very quickly, going back to artificial intelligence, just given this uh, blowout second quarter report from NVIDIA, what happens to NVIDIA when the rest of the sector catches up with them? Or can there, is, it, is that even a possibility?
2: Well, at least for now, they have the leading chip that everyone wants. Amazon, Google, Microsoft, etc. So for as long as that continues, uh, NVIDIA's path forward is is pretty good. At some point, um, those companies will have built the data centers that they need, and you would expect demand to slow, probably still be positive, but slower. And in the meanwhile, companies like Advanced Micro Devices, perhaps Intel and others, will try to make uh, semiconductor chips that can compete against NVIDIA. So that might pull down the price of their chips going forward. So certainly competition and going forward at some point, slower growth. But for now, NVIDIA is doing very, very well.
3: Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager with Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, looking deeper into the capabilities of artificial intelligence.
5: Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon
3: Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday. A panel of computer scientists, neuroscientists, and philosophers has come up with a lengthy checklist of attributes that, when put together, could suggest that artificial intelligence has its own existence and thoughts. Let's discuss the possibilities with Shelly Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group, professor of advanced media in residence at the Newhouse School of Public Communications based at Syracuse University. Shelly, thank you for joining us today. And I feel like uh, uh, just by virtue of watching a lot of episodes of Star Trek that dealt with this very subject, uh, that I could have minored in the subject of uh, when does artificial intelligence become sentient? And uh, normally it ends with a a courtroom scene with some uh, very good actors is exchanging uh, meaty monologues about the uh, nature of existence. But as far as the AI models we're dealing with right now, how far away are we from them developing some level of consciousness or is that even possible?
7: So it's a really interesting question, possibly more for philosophers and metaphysicists than physicists. We might be able to define what intelligence is, the ability to reason through a complex problem, to understand how to plan, to learn from your experiences. Like we... We probably could define intelligence, although we would have large debates about whether we're right or wrong about every attribute of being intelligent. But what it is to be conscious, that is a completely different animal. And it is very, very difficult for anyone to define consciousness. Uh, And they've done the, the very good job, I think, if you read the paper, it's fascinating. They've done a very good job trying to figure out the questions you'd ask, but it doesn't really get to the heart of the question, which is, is if it were conscious and whatever that means and let's pretend we could agree on what that was which by the way nobody can if you shut it off did you commit murder that's a really interesting question and while it sounds ridiculous if you believe something is conscious then maybe it is if you don't believe it's conscious maybe it isn't so there are this is a much, much deeper set of questions. Then, then I think we have a right to be asking right now because the technology is nowhere near where this is.
3: We're talking to Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group, because we have seen with some of these large language models, they can emulate human behavior. They can try to tell a joke. They can try to be snarky, but they are just doing what it's programmed to do. It's not so can consciousness I correct, telling can I it.
7: Correct, no, can I correct that? First of all, Every large language model is a word calculator. It breaks languages up into tokens of a few letters and then statistically predicts what tokens should come next. It's literally no more conscious than your, than your handheld calculator calculating numbers. This is a calculator that calculates words. And it's hard for people to wrap their heads around because it's meant to fool you into thinking it's human because it's, it's built to converse the way humans converse. There's a thing called the Turing test. And it's supposed to be like when humans could be fooled by computers and like when will a computer be powerful enough to pass the Turing test? That's the wrong question. The Turing test isn't for computers to pass. It's for humans to fail. You don't know you're talking to a computer. The computer hasn't changed. So you're talking to a word calculator right now. And no matter how much it mimics human conversation or human capabilities, it's simply calculating the next token that it puts in front of you, and to think of it any other way is to misunderstand the technology.
3: Well, Shelly, all I know is that uh, if if the uh, computer does not open the pod bay doors for me, then uh, maybe it has gained consciousness. <laughs> Shelly Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group, professor of advanced media in residence at the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday, and still to come, making sure that a remote job will remain that way. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. People seeking a job that allows them to work from home or another remote location will want to check closely to see if that will continue to be the case. We're joined by Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm 2DISCERN based in Chicago. Rick, thank you for joining us today. Before we talk about some of the uh, implications of continuing to work remotely, are companies still offering fully remote jobs or is that a a pandemic uh, trend that has come and gone?
8: No, it's it still happens. I think that this is more of a case by case situation as opposed to a general policy, even by department.
3: Now, if you are negotiating a fully remote position, uh, how can you insulate yourself against your employer based in Kansas City or Denver or Los Angeles or New York? How can you protect yourself against the company saying, look, you know, this was a fully remote position when you were hired in December of 2020, but now we need you call it to call you back to the office on Fifth Avenue. What do you do?
8: Well, let's let's be fair. I think uh, X, formerly Twitter, proved that you can't. You're not insulated. So, given the state, given the situation, um, you you have to remember. First of all, nothing's forever. Roles can change, and you can only influence what's happening at the time. I think you have to look at the company's uh, current history. So, what have they been like? Uh, what things have caused them to change? If COVID forced them into a uh, into a remote or hybrid environment, there's no guarantee that they won't go back as soon as they can because it's really what they're used to. But I think in the negotiation, it's critical to remember what you've already done for the organization if you're there or what you have done in other organizations if you're coming from another company and speak about your accomplishments as benefits to the company based on that environment. So you need to be able to make a case for why your existing remote work or hybrid work or going to some form of that will be better for the company as well as for you. If you're only negotiating for yourself, you're just, you are just—you might as well stop talking.
3: We're talking to Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm Two discern based in Chicago. Uh, what's your legal recourse if a, a company says, you know what, this is not a remote job anymore. You got to come in and you're thousands of miles away. I mean, there, there's no legal definition of remote work.
8: Right. And of course, uh, law in general is, is somewhat variable and labor law is more variable. If you're an employee at will state or a right to work state, that's going to be one of the differences. Uh, certainly, the employer is viewing you as an employee of, of their state versus the state you're in. That's another factor. You really can't. And I think you're going to you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to do that. You're trying to fit into a culture and an organization and do your work to the best of your abilities you need to keep these conversations as civil as possible. You know, the, the lawyer is the last result, certainly if they're comfortable with it when you get an offer, and that's the goal is to get an offer always, not to not to just argue about what you do and don't want. When you get that offer, say, you know, I, that's great. I can't wait to review it. I'll review it. You send it to me. I'll respond to you uh, also the same way. Now you have something that's in writing that specifically defines or doesn't define What's going on? And if you want to come back and negotiate pieces of that, whether it's remote work or hybrid work or something else, you can come back. Don't necessarily have to put that in writing either. Say, I noticed that in this agreement, we don't discuss hybrid or remote work. What's the policy, et cetera, and continue to probe. But try to make it as amicable and as as uh, as, uh, conflict free friction-free as possible is the only way to get anywhere.
3: Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm 2DISCERN, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today.
7: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.